The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about five thousand in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, Gather up the fragments left over, so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left, they left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles... They saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Almighty Creator, Root us in your ageless love as you energize us to be instruments of the new things that spring forth from you. Amen. Amen. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? This verse from Isaiah has become one of my favorite bits of scripture this summer. Much of what I am encountering in my life, in the life of others, in the life of Trinity Church, and in the lives highlighted in our scripture, could be summed up by this holy one-liner. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Now, on a Sunday when you may be as overwhelmed as I am by the depth and wealth and intrigue of the readings we just heard, perhaps it is a bit wasteful of my pulpit time to focus on a Bible verse that is not actually in our lectionary for today. But bear with me. 
I hope God's propensity for doing new things and God's desire for us to see what those new things are can be a helpful linchpin in all that we have before us today. Jesus is obviously the new thing that God was up to during gospel times. And the Gospel of John really wants us to know how new and different and cosmically surprising Jesus was and is. This Gospel talks a lot about who Jesus was and is, because there has never been anyone else before or since to give us a frame of reference for understanding what today's Gospel calls the breadth and length and height and depth of Christ's love. And because without knowing Jesus, without knowing something of the love of Jesus, it is hard to be in relationship with him. And perhaps relationship with Jesus is the big new thing that we are perpetually being called into. So once every three years in the middle of summer, when our church attendance might be a bit sporadic, The lectionary gives us five weeks in a row to read the sixth chapter of John with the presumed goal that this will help us to know better who Jesus said he was. Those five weeks start today with the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and with Jesus walking on water because why not jam two inexplainable bits of Jesus magic into one day, right? In the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus overrides the fear of scarcity. He challenges the social order that keeps the majority of people hungry. He meets basic needs. He creates community and inspires generosity. And he introduces, in a very literal way, the metaphor of himself as bread, as food, which he will use in the following discourse with such frequency that you can be assured to hear about it every Sunday for the next four weeks. So, Jesus made a lot of bread. And then once all the inexplicably abundant leftovers have been collected and the day has ended, the disciples get in a boat. They don't really know where Jesus is, but they got in a boat. And halfway across the sea, Jesus scares the living daylights out of them by walking to them on the boat, on the water, which gives him another opportunity to say something very important about himself. It is I, he says, which sounds a lot like I am who I am. It is I, he says, do not be afraid. It's been a big day, my friends, but I am me. I am who I am. I am not someone who you need to fear. Now, in between the astounding bread multiplying and the bewildering water walking, Jesus does something more subtle. And I think it says more about the new thing that Jesus is up to than anything else. The verse following the feeding of the 5,000 reads, When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? 
The people were hungry for a good king. They always had been. They thought Jesus was going to be that king for them. They had been oppressed by some really evil kings. God had tried to talk them out of needing a king at all through the prophet Samuel. They finally had gotten a pretty good king some time ago, David. But even he made some disastrous mistakes. And still, the people were stubbornly attached the idea of being saved by the institution of human power in the form of a king. Jesus was something new, though. He was not the kind of leader who could fit neatly into the people's long-held hopes and expectations. He knew the dangers of allowing himself to be what they thought they wanted him to be. As a devout Jew, he was seeped in history and tradition, and so he knew that his ancestor, David, the beloved good king, had, as we read this morning, succumbed to the temptations of the power entrusted in him, that he had taken what he wanted, even when what he wanted was a married woman. And that he had taken the life of the woman's husband when he could think of no other way to save himself from the disgrace of having impregnated her while her husband was at war. The power of a human throne, Jesus knew, was not God's way of doing things. It was spiritually dangerous. And he had not been born to repeat the downfalls of his ancestors. He had come to do something new. So when the people chased him down to try to make him king, he slipped away to be alone, to be something new. As we listen to him over the coming weeks talking about the new thing that he was and is, the new thing that God is doing in the incarnation, I think we might just hear two very important invitations. The first is that Jesus invites us to know him better so that we can be more fully engaged in the breadth and length and height and depth of his love. The second invitation that we might hear is an invitation to explore the new things that God is up to right now in us. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Just as the baskets and baskets of bread were a tangible sign of the spiritual bread that Jesus offered in himself, I really believe that our new parish house here and the new classrooms that are being built below us in the undercroft, while they are wonderfully useful and beautiful, are still only signs and tools of a spiritual new thing that is happening in this place. Sometimes, in the middle of a work week, while members here are coming out of the woodwork to unpack and settle our new space, and while ministries are buzzing all around us, and people show up to talk about life and to pray, I feel the movement of the Spirit telling me that God is up to something new. Right here. Sometimes I meet someone new on a Sunday morning and I get a sense that there is a great well of possibility in that person's presence here. And that God has a hand in whatever that new thing might be. 
And sometimes that sense of sacred possibility is in the air, in the middle of a conversation with someone who's been here for many years longer than I have been here. Can you see it, these new things? Hear it, feel it, touch it? Can you guess at it? Can you perceive in whatever way you perceive best that God is indeed on the move here in the people around you, in your various communities, in your family, in you? I think we could spend our whole lives and every moment of prayer doing nothing but tuning ourselves into whatever God is up to And then doing our best to join in, in these holy projects. They're all over the place, these divine projects. They are made of brick and mortar. They are made of men and women. They are made of dreams and prayers and relationships and connections. And they are made of the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge The love of a Christ who we are perpetually invited to know more deeply. These holy projects are made of you and you and you and you and me too. God, the great project manager of all that is good and right and surprisingly new, is, I do believe, on the move. And in this moment might just be saying these words. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? By the grace of God, may we perceive and may we surrender to whatever God might have in store for us. Amen.